Hi, I'm Jonathan Pennington, and this is the Human Flourishing Podcast. This podcast is a repository of a wide variety of sermons, lectures, interviews, and other resources that I've recorded over the years. Today's episode is a talk called Educating Your Emotions, given via Zoom for the Village Church, Denton. As we thought about how we could provide for us as a church in these days, especially around thinking through our emotions, uh, I knew of no one that I trusted more or that I would want you to hear from more uh, than Jonathan. And so um, I know we can't clap, but uh, Dr. Pennington, thanks for being here. We are so grateful and eager to uh, to receive from you tonight. Great. Thanks, Bo. Um, Thank you all for joining tonight. This is very exciting. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something uh, for yourself here right at the beginning. Um, actually, Bo, would you mind just saying a prayer for us as we begin? Yeah. That would be yep. great. Lord, we, um, we're wishing we were together in person tonight. Again. And yet we're so thankful for this technology that allows us to do what we're doing here. And Lord, we uh, come with open hands and open hearts as children, brothers and sisters of you, our Father. And we ask for you to teach us. You, you have, Christ ascended. He just gave good gifts to his church. Certainly he gave his spirit, but his spirit empowers the members of the body in different ways. And so we pray you would empower Dr. Pennington tonight to build us up. We need to be built up. We need to be equipped. We need to be encouraged. We need to know how to think about our emotions more faithfully, that we might honor you and encourage each other in these days of adversity and hardship, where we are, even tonight, coming into this room in all different ways. So lead us by your Spirit, we pray. Thank you for this church that's represented on this phone call, Lord. This church is just a miracle, and it is beautiful. And so minister to us, your people, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Thanks, Bo. Okay. So again, welcome. Thanks so much for coming. I'm going to ask you to start off here. And John, if you could take us to the next slide, that'd be great. And with a little opening exercise here, and that is I want you to pause for a second and pay attention. I want you to write down, uh, if you can, if you have a paper in front of you. If not, you can just think of it. But I want you to be honest and Ask yourself, what is your primary emotion right now? Maybe in this, this moment or maybe even just today is enough just to think what's your primary emotion. To help you answer that, I've put a, things in front of you here and then I'll, then I'll shut up for a minute and let you think about it. Uh, this thing on the screen you can see is called Pluchek's Wheel. It's quite imperfect. This is, this is a psychological um, tool that's often used. It's It's got some imperfections, I think, from a Christian perspective, but it is a helpful way uh, to think about the variety of words that we use for our emotions. I also put on the screen there for you five words that I think you can kind of boil it down. I think uh, the, there's a lot of different ways we can describe our emotions, but I think they basically fit into, and you can kind of remember this on your hand, mad, sad, glad, afraid, or ashamed. And I think most of our emotions fall into one of those five categories. So I'm going to pause for a second. I'd like you to just be honest and look inside your soul and ask yourself, what is your primary emotion, one or two, in that those categories of mad, sad, glad, afraid, or ashamed right now? So let me just let you ponder that.
Now, tired is not an emotion. Um, and that's maybe one that a lot of people think. So maybe that's what you're thinking. Uh, numb is not an emotion either, which is sometimes what some of you might be feeling. Um, I encourage you, I won't take more time to do it, but I encourage you to, if you, if your answers to that were tired or numb, or I don't know what I'm aware of, that doesn't mean you're not feeling anything. That means you are uh, practicing a bunch of skills you've learned to not pay attention to your emotions is actually what's happening in that situation. And so I encourage you to sort of press towards that. But let me let me just press on for now and and talk to you about what's going on. And in this first session, I want to just basically talk about what our emotions are and different ways people have thought about what our emotions are and how to approach them. And then we'll do a little Q&A, like, like Bo said. And then in the second session, I want to ask a, a different question is, what does the Bible really say about our emotions? And so it's this combination. I hope you can stick around for both um, for both these. So this first one is just to try, to sort of try to figure out what our emotions are. Now, I start with that opening exercise for you um, because some of you are more aware of your emotions than others, but the reality is our emotions made by God are actually affecting us all the time, whether we realize it or not. Emotions are a powerful and inescapable part of really what it means to be human as made in God's image. Emotions are this mysterious power that drives us humans to to love, to kill, to marry, to divorce, to buy things we can't afford, maybe to drink too much, to worship invisible deities. All the things we do are actually driven to a large degree by emotions. You may think they're driven by thinking, but there's the heart is deeper than the, than the mind so often. Some people, again, are just more attuned to their emotions than others. Uh, some, some people are not as much, and the reasons for that vary. Some, it, part of it's genetic, probably. Uh, part of it is personality. I think a large part of it is probably your upbringing um, and learned responses, whether you were raised in an environment where it was okay to have emotions, whether it was encouraged or whether it was discouraged. Maybe you're like my wife, who is an artist. She's a, a deep, passionate artist, professional artist. She was raised by a Marine father uh, who actually was a very artistic person himself, but he was raised in a previous generation where it was not really okay for a, a man, especially in rural Iowa, to be artistic and sensitive. So he learned, my father-in-law, who's now passed away, he learned a very tough kind of way of being. And then that was the environment he raised my my wife in, even though she was a very passionate artist as well. Maybe that's your story or some variation on that. And it makes it hard in that situation to learn to know what your emotions are, to even be self-aware and how to process them. And, and also our emotions um, are affected and how sensitive we are to our emotions are affected by our current circumstances. Um, all of us, all of these things affect us. And they actually, the reality is our emotions are affecting us all the time, whether we realize it or not. John, if you go to the next screen, uh, let me show you a, a couple of great um, sculptures by a pretty famous French sculptor um, by name Mayol. Uh, the one on the left is called uh, La Nuit or Night. And the one on the right is um, called Pain or Suffering in French. And these are just two really nice examples of humans, especially, who tend to be aware of their emotions and are expressing them. And this is combined with the ability to do this amazing kind of sculpture as well. And I, you know, we could take some time and just kind of explore the, what these powerful sculptures are showing us. But I think they're expressing very deep emotions people feel. 
I'm getting a word that my internet connection is unstable. Hopefully you can still hear me okay. Um, or sometimes it's not visual artists, but sometimes it's somebody like my beloved Taylor Swift. I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan uh, who uh, writes, you know, great lyrics like in her best song. And if you want to fight me on what her best song is, I'm, I'm willing to go to the mat on this one for you. And that's her song All Too Well, where she says something like this. And I know it's long gone and there was nothing else I could do. And I forget about you long enough to forget why I needed to. I almost broke into song there. It's so good. But the point is, artists often are very connected to our emotions. Others of us, maybe not as much. And again, maybe that's because we've been trained. The key principle that I want to get across as we begin to think about what emotions are is that we all have them. And if we aren't aware of them, and if we don't learn to address or educate or sculpt, maybe is better, our emotions, then they will actually still continue to affect us but they'll usually come out sideways. And you have people that are completely unaware of what they're feeling by training or whatever it is, but everybody is still affected and things will often come out sideways. And a key soul care or therapy principle is that what we don't process internally comes out externally. And this is so true with emotions. If you don't face some of the things that you're actually feeling, they will still affect you and they will come out, but they'll come out usually sideways and in harmful ways. Now, again, our emotions are always present. They're affecting us. How much more, friends, during this global pandemic and quarantine and shutdown? I'm aware of it. I see it. We have six kids. Uh, they're all a little older, uh, so it's mostly fun. We're all around playing games together, et cetera, because our, our youngest is, uh, I'm not sure, <laughs> 15, I guess. Um, they're not all at home now, but four of them are. Um, and I see it in our family dynamics. Just some days and some hours are everybody's happy, sometimes very sad. There's bickering going on, especially during church services streamed into our home. I was preaching this morning, so there we are. My daughter's the worship leader, so we're sitting there as a family uh, watching my daughter lead and me preach. It was kind of weird, and they're bickering with each other. It was just such a classic moment, right, <laughs> of reality. And this is, this, is the, this is the reality of all of our emotions going all over the place, and I'm sure that's true for your family as well. Um, I think part of the reason maybe our emotions are so powerful right now is that we actually have a little bit more time to reflect. You know, in America, especially, we live extremely busy lives. And one of the advantages, quote unquote, of living a busy life is that we can actually live our lives not really paying attention to what's going on in the inside. And everything in us, especially if we have a lot of wounds and damage, everything in us wants to actually not pay attention to, to the reflection that is required in the soul work that's required when we start paying attention to what's on the inside. So that's just a little introduction. The question is, John, if you can go to the next screen, really what are our emotions? Well, um, thank, thank goodness for streaming services right now, right? <laughs> um, we've been watching this great movie, so have you. Um, in addition to Baby Yoda, and one of the great gifts that uh, Disney Plus has given us recently, as probably many of you know, is the ability to go back and savor some of the great Pixar movies. We just watched Ratatouille the other night again for the first time in years, which is a great one as well. But several weeks ago, my youngest daughter and I sat on the couch and watched this 
glorious one inside out with a lot of laughter and tears. And in fact, I'd forgotten just how engaging uh, inside out is. And if you haven't seen it, I'd highly recommend it to you. In fact, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. But on the other hand, if you haven't seen this movie, I don't know what you're doing with yourself. So anyway, so sorry, not sorry, uh, as I give a little bit of a spoiler on inside out. The inside out title of this great movie refers to the way in which the story actually alternates between the outside life of Riley, this uh, happy, active 11-year-old girl, and what's going on inside her head or emotions. And the movie cuts back and forth constantly between the inside control room, which is pictured here, where you have five emotions, joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger, and they are, you know, they're perfectly voice cast with uh, Amy Poehler and Phyllis Smith, who's Sadness from The Office, Phyllis from The Office, Mindy Kaling and some others. They're, it's just a really well done movie. Now, not only is it a great story, including great lines like when Anger, which is the guy on the far right there, when he first has pizza in California that has broccoli on it. He says, congratulations, San Francisco, you've even ruined pizza. I mean, there's some great lines like that, but it's, it's much more profound than that as well. And in fact, the movie functions at this kind of two levels. There's a narrative that any kid can appreciate, but like any great story, any adult can see how profound the story really is. And at one climactic scene, Riley, a seven-year-old girl, is overwhelmed with appointment and she's hurt and she's getting on a bus to run away from her family. And the emotions console that you can see there that's in front of her, it's in it, whoever gets to run it is whatever the primary emotion is going on. And they what happens is the console goes completely dark because she is so overwhelmed by her sadness and her disappointment and they can't control anything. And she just completely shuts down emotionally. And I think you've all experienced that. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. This idea, this is such a great image, that the, the emotions are so overwhelming that just it goes dark inside. And, the, and so the emotions, as you see on the screen there, they're trying to control to, to get her to do things, and they can't. She's just so overwhelmed by emotions. And what's you know part of the spoiler alert here is that you think that joy is what needs to save her but it's actually sadness that actually saves the day by enabling her to finally get connected to some emotion. Um, and the, the console sort of comes back to life once she gets connected to her sadness. And what's so brilliant about this movie is that the heart of the vision of the movie is that what it means to be human is more than just being happy. It is, you know, that's a big part of it. But what they're arguing in this book, in this movie, is that what it means to be human is to actually be connected to the full range of our human emotions. And this is how the story develops. I won't tell you anything more about it because it's so great. And if you've seen it and haven't seen it in a while, go back and watch it again. So I open with this introduction of, of uh, Inside Out to, to ask what our emotions is, because I think it's quite insightful and very um, nuanced sort of view of what our emotions are. It's not just about being happy. It's about being connected to what they are. Now, who are the experts, though, today on emotions? Well, our word emotions is a very interesting one, and it's, it can be a kind of a complicated one. I'll watch my time here. Um, because our word emotions is actually often viewed as pretty negative in our language. So, for example, one pastor who's written a great book on emotions named Mark Schleski, 
he does this little exercise that I'll just do briefly with you as well. And that is, if, how would you feel if someone said to you, you seem to be very emotional today? Versus how would you feel if someone said, you seem to be very rational today? Well, you can see that you probably don't want anybody to say that you seem very emotional today. And what that shows is that our word emotions has become very negative. Like that's a negative thing if you're described as emotional. Well, so, so that's, that's one of our problems here. But the residential experts today on our emotions are, of course, psychologists and neurologists and psychiatrists and counselors and therapists. What do they say? Well, it turns out when you ask experts today about what emotions are, you get two very different answers. On the one hand, you get the description that emotions are purely physical, neurological realities, that they are a function of body chemicals, and that what you and I call our emotions, sadness, joy, or whatever, are actually just physical experiences that we then just put a word on. So the heart is beating faster or you feel sweaty or whatever it is, or you feel this, uh, you know, endorphins going through your body. And then we, so it's really just chemicals and we just call them something with words. On the other hand, you have groups of experts that would say, instead, emotions are something cognitive, something in our brain, something psychological, um, and they're a function of our expectations that we have towards things and whether those expectations are met or not. So happiness occurs when our experiences match our expectations. Sadness occurs when our experiences do not. Anger comes out when someone frustrates our expectations and our desires, et cetera. So again, you have two options. One is people say that emotions are just chemicals and other people say that they are a function of thinking, right? Well, as the great theologian Kevin Van Hooser, I think observes rightly, um, really what happens in both of these situations is what we call reductionism, that both groups of experts tend to reduce the complex reality of emotions uh, either down towards body and chemicals or up towards the mind. Who's right? Which of those is right? Well, it's complicated. And again, part of our problem, I think, is with our language. We have a negative view of emotions. That's one thing. It's, it, and it also, emotions has come to sort of mean something that's, as my elderly mother would say, is too big for its britches in the sense that um, in the ancient world, they didn't just have one word for emotions. They thought about passions and uh, affections as two different sort of things. And we kind of use one word to describe them, so that's part of the problem. And we also have this head versus heart problem in our language. And, and a lot of times we read the Bible this way too, where we think heart is where the emotions are and head is where the thinking are, these kind of two opposites. But both in Hebrew and in Greek and other ancient languages, what, the, what our word heart means doesn't mean head, you know, thinking versus feeling. For them, heart meant the inner person that is both thinking and feeling. So, so the point is we have, we, we've got kind of ourselves in a dilemma today that we tend to reduce the ideas of emotions one way or the other, and we don't even have a good word for it that's positive and really explains both thinking and feeling together. Now, what's really interesting to me um, is that today our experts are psychologists and neurologists and therapists, et cetera, but in the ancient world, the people who were the experts on emotions, the people that helped people process their emotions were actually philosophers, famous people you've heard of like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and maybe some you haven't heard of like Seneca and Epictetus and Epicurus and others. But these were the people who really thought a lot about emotions and really 
had ideas about how to think about them and how to live with them, actually. And so what I want to do is just take a couple of minutes and just bullet point out for you what are the different ways? Because just like today, there's this big debate about what emotions are. It turns out in the ancient world, there were big differences as well. And the point of all this, just to frame it again, is I'm just trying to set up what emotions are. And then in the second session, we'll say, and then what does the Bible think about it? Because the Bible has a very thoughtful answer too. So let me just run through these different options. The first one, and uh, John, you can taste the next screen here, the platonic view. So this comes from the famous guy, Plato. He thought a lot about emotions. And basically, he described emotions as the passions part of it that are opposed to the reason part. Sounds a lot like how we talk today, and especially how the neurologists and others kind of talk. And this picture you have on the screen there is a, from a very famous illustration that Plato uses that he describes the soul, who's the charioteer there, or the person, as trying to control two different horses inside of us. One is reason, which is this thoughtful, controllable horse. That'd be the one on the the, the forward head or on the closer uh, horse. And then the other is passion, this uncontrollable thing that you have to try to control. And what the human, you can see the, the charioteer is really straining there. He's trying to control both of these two opposite tendencies in our souls. And this platonic view that emotions or passions are bad and reason is its enemy is, you know, very dominant in his view and comes all the way down to today for many people as well. Um, in fact, this is where uh, the very first personality type, some of you maybe like personality types, some of you don't, um, I find them helpful in many ways, but the one of the, the oldest one we know of, or this oldest Greek one anyways, is called, is the four temperaments. And it comes out of this kind of platonic view that people are either sanguine, choleric, melancholic, or phlegmatic. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one, but that comes from this idea that there are these four different fluids inside the human that are get mixed together. The Latin word for mixture is temperament or tempera. And so they get mixed together in different formulas and that creates the person uh, who's fighting against their sort of reason. So that's one view. Now the next screen, that's not the only view though. Plato's student Aristotle disagreed with them quite a bit on what emotions are. And Aristotle instead said, sorry, not trying to make you hungry there, but Aristotle said that um, emotions are instead um, part of the singular person that we are. They're not two separate parts of us, but that are that are reasoning and our cognition. I'm sorry, our cognition, our thinking, and our passions together make the engine of what a human is. So that they need to work together. They're not enemies, but actually, the true human is one who has those two things integrated. And these and and emotions are a result then of cognition, their result of thinking. So this again relates to the other view today, the view of therapists and psychiatrists or psychologists, for example, today and many counselors. The reason I give you these two pictures on the screen there, if you can see them, is that uh, this is an illustration of this. This is one I made up, but I think it, it fits with Aristotle's view. And that is that emotions, what we feel in our bodies and our, what we describe as emotions are a function of perception. So if the picture on the left um, makes you want to eat something uh, and makes you want to, it makes you hungry, as opposed to the picture on the right, that is a function, Aristotle would say, uh, so the steak versus the bricks, are a function of your perception of what is valuable and what is good. Now, to sort of play with this a little bit, you can imagine that if you are a vegetarian or a vegan, um, maybe that picture on the left is actually not appealing to you at all. Maybe, in fact, you look at that 
that slaughtered animal and you are thinking that is gross and that is horrible. So notice the difference there, although I'm so jealous that you can all just go up the road to Marty B's. I'm, I'm missing Marty B's myself. I wish I could be going there tonight right now. So, but I find that attractive. But notice this is one object that if you find that steak attractive or appalling is a function of some perception you have, some value system that results in some emotion. And on the other hand, we can imagine some bizarre scenario where someone, for whatever reason, has actually come to the point where they love eating bricks. And so actually that one on the right could actually be, if for some, we would say some problem in their brain, um, makes eating bricks valuable, then that would actually be more appealing to you. To change the scenario a little bit, imagine that you are, the, the river near your house is flooding and it is coming up to your, to your door and somebody shows up Two people show up to your door, we'll say, one that is a Schwann's food truck and they offer you um, 50 steaks and another person offers you 50 pallets of bricks. Well, which are you going to desire more at that time? Which, what are your emotions going to be? They're going to be a function of the perception of what's valuable in that moment. So the point is, this Aristotelian view says that emotions are a real thing. They're not a bad thing to be controlled. They're a function of cognition, okay? There's one more thing to talk about here before we wrap this up. Let me look at my time here again. And that is what's going on around the time of Jesus. Well, what happens is the Platonic and the Aristotelian traditions are dominant in the 300s for the most part before Christ. Um, but then what happens in the last couple of centuries up to the time of Jesus, and even the first few centuries after the time of Jesus, there's one philosophy that really came to dominate um, basically the entire Greek and Roman world, and it was called Stoicism. Now, you actually have heard the word stoic probably before, and it's not, uh, it's, it, it means somewhat what you think it means. Uh, the Stoics were a certain philosophical group that were kind of had like Oprah level influence on society. I mean, they were very influential because they had some really great thinkers like Seneca, and they eventually even had a Roman emperor named Marcus Aurelius who was a great emperor. He didn't like Christians. Unfortunately, that was his greatest flaw, and he killed many of them. But as a ruler, he was very just, etc., except for towards Christians. Um, but Stoics were very influential because they trained people how to handle their emotions. And they said that the goal of, of living a happy life is to have tranquility of soul. And they had a Greek word for it, ataraxia. To have tranquility of soul was the goal and that the only way to achieve tranquility of soul, which is what we all want, is through apatheia. And you can hear our word apathy in it, which isn't quite what the word means, but it means being free from passions, apatheia. So if you can be free from all emotions, then you can find true tranquility of soul. So it's very different from both the Aristotelian and the Platonic tradition, although it kind of comes out of the Aristotle's tradition because it is saying that the key is to learn to think certain ways. So how do you think? Well, every morning you wake up and you think about the fact that you're going to die. And so you have one day to live that you know of for sure. Maybe it'll end halfway through the day even, but you premeditate on all the bad things that could happen to you so that you'll wean yourself off of having any expectations on the day. And you learn through your mind to embrace amor fati, they said. Whatever you encounter, you, in whatever fate brings your way, you love it. You don't just endure it, you love it. Um, you have statements like uh, Marcus Aurelius, 
Um, well, we'll come back to him. We'll come back to him in the second session because we're running out of time. But the, the point is that the way they were very conscious of what emotions are and the key is you need to get rid of them all by thinking correctly. So I give you here this uh, great little image of Darth Vader. This is not something they obviously use, but this is my, uh, my own sort of interpretation of them, that uh, this is a funny image here. Like what, is, what does Vader look like when he's angry, happy, sad, sleepy, confused, cheerful, all those? He looks exactly the same. Well, a stoic could be very happy uh, with, with Darth Vader then. The thing on the right are these little stoicism coins that you can buy today. In fact, some friends uh, gave me these as a gift. Um, and what these little co coins say are they have little sayings that you meditate on so that you can train your emotions not to control you. Um, I'm not a stoic, just so you know, but I do find some benefit in these with balance. I'll come back to this. And so the, you know, memento mori, remember your death, amor fate, love fate, uh, premeditato malorum. So, in, you know, meditate on all the bad things that can happen to you. And the whole point is, is these things train you how to be in the world so that you can experience tranquility by getting rid of your emotions. Sounds a lot like Buddhism, actually, if you're familiar with Buddhism. And there's probably some connection, actually, uh, that I can't get into the history of it, but there's probably some connection between Stoicism and Buddhism there. So, okay. So this is wrapping up my first thing. So let me go to the last slide here, if you can, John. And I just want to ask you, first of all, what do you think emotions are in light of that? You can just kind of ponder that. What I'd like you to do before we uh, go to some Q&A is I want you to be honest with yourself and say, how do you tend to handle your emotions? So Plato said, the way you handle emotions, you read poetry, listen to music, because emotions are bad, you need to get rid of them. Aristotle said, you need to think about them really carefully. The Stoics said, you actually need to get rid of your emotions by you know, doing these practices. What do you do? And I'm sorry that I realized this uh, got, the spacing got off a little, a little bit, but if you have the handout in front of you, I'd encourage you to circle them. If not, you can just look at the screen. What do you tend to do with your emotions? Do you withdraw? Do you have angry outbursts? Do you seethe inside with anger? Do you talk with friends? Do you go to alcohol? Do you go to food? Do you go to exercise or video games? Maybe it's movies or shows. Maybe you just sleep. That's what I often do when I'm stressed. I just find I get really sleepy. Maybe it's addictions. Maybe it's suicidal ideation. You begin to imagine that. Maybe it's crying. Maybe you give yourself to task. You just work really hard. Maybe you journal, right? What, what do you do? How do you handle your emotions? Let me give you 30 seconds to just ponder that and be honest with yourself and kind of address that in your own heart. Thank you for listening to the Human Flourishing Podcast. To learn more or get in touch with me, visit my website, jonathanpennington.com.